Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning. What would you do if today when you got home, you got a phone call? It was a phone call because you had a doctor's visit this week. You had a checkup just to be sure everything was okay. And on Sunday afternoon, your doctor personally called you and he said, uh, are you in a place by yourself? And he said, well, I'm here. Well, could you step over by yourself and could you sit down? And you would say, oh, oh, okay. And then suppose he said to you, there, there's something, we, we, we took a test this week and we were going through your checkup and, and we discovered something. You only have 30 days to live. Well, one month to live. What would be different? In the last 50 years of ministry, I've seen people who, who got phone calls like that. I've seen people who thought everything was great and they were concerned about where they were going on vacation and what new things they'd like to add on to the house and doing different things in the garage and, and closing a closet. And in one moment, all of that shifted and everything changed. And for those people, the most important and significant thing they began to get was new focus. What mattered now instantly was their closest relationships, saying things to people that they always wanted to say that they intended to say, but they never did, giving things they intended to give to someone, but they never had, forgiving someone or asking for forgiveness, but they never got around to it. Each one stopped wasting time on insignificant things, and all of a sudden, clarity and focus came. So I got a question. It's a question we're going to be answering over the next five weeks. Why wait till you get that phone call to begin living that way? Why wait till you get that phone call of those circumstances to make the changes that need to be made now? Don't we all want to live life to the fullest now? You say, Pastor, this is like heavy. I mean, I came to church because I need to be encouraged. Like, like I came because I was hoping you were going to just like be, you know how you can be funny, you know? Like, I was hoping, like, it would be one of those services I'd come and go, man, I'm glad I came. I needed that. My job as your pastor, my job, our job, Joseph's job, all of our pastors at all of our locations' job is this. It's not that we want you to die, but it's want, we want to really show you how to really live. But you never do that until you have perspective. You see, God's favorite word is today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to forgive. Today is the day to make that relationship right. Today is the day to marry that person you've been living with that you've been saying you're going to marry them someday. Women, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Satan's favorite word is someday. John Maxwell said, we overestimate the power of tomorrow and we underestimate the power of today. In the next few weeks, we're going to learn some essential principles that will actually add true life purpose to you and get you out of that someday syndrome. 
You see, there's two audiences that we can live for. Two audiences we can live for. We can either live for the audience that's around us now, immediately. Or we can live for the audience of heaven. The audience of heaven. I love speaking to teenagers. They don't let me speak to them much anymore. But until I was about 40, I actually thought I was going to do that the rest of my life. That's what I did for 25 years, preach to teenagers. And do you know what I love to say to teenagers? How many of you have a teenager? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of grandchildren that are teenagers? Raise your hand. I'm going to give you something really good to say to them. You know those people that are your BFFs? How many of you remember your BFFs? Your ride or die. My boy, my partner, my guy, my go-to. Yeah, you, you know those people. This is like y'all right here. This is you over here. You know, you know the people I'm talking about? Listen to me. When you're a teenager, those people that, you, you know, you got to check your hairstyle out. You got to change for them. You got to act right, talk right, walk, all of that for them. You won't even know who they are in 20 years. In 10 years, you may never even be talking to them again. You're making life-altering decisions with the opinion and influence of an audience that won't even be around you. Look at me. Can I tell you something? They don't even like you. They just hadn't told you. Parents, is this true? Yes or no? Grandparents, is this true? Yes or no? But at the moment, you think that's the most important audience, but there is another audience, and that's the one that really matters, and that's the audience of heaven, the audience of heaven. Knowing this keeps us from the someday syndrome. I saw a bumper sticker in the 90s when everybody was driving BMWs and trying to get all the bling they could back in the day, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. And it was a bumper sticker in a car in Houston, and it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I saw another bumper sticker, and it said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. They still die. You see, if we understand which audience we're living for, then all of a sudden, priorities become clear. There's something I want to remind you of. I hope I say it hundreds of times this year. Oh, Pastor Joseph says it hundreds of times this year. You are an eternal spiritual being. That's like this. Having a temporary physical experience on earth. That's like this. You're an eternal spiritual being. Like this. Having a temporary physical experience on earth. That's like this. You want me to prove it to you? Can I prove it to you? Okay. How many of you remember when you were first crossing into puberty? Okay, guys, you don't want to remember that. You were like, oh. Okay, girls, you went from like your little training things and you're like, okay, you remember that? Okay, do you remember when, when like the guy who was the stud at the school paid attention to you like in eighth grade? You were like in the locker, walking by your lockers, and he kind of went and looked at you like that, and you went, he wants me, he likes me, he's crazy about me, I can tell. He was actually looking at the good-looking girl at the locker next to you, but that didn't matter because that meant the world to you. And for two weeks, all you could think about was, he looked at me, I'm telling you, he looked at me. He, I saw, you can't fake that look he gave me. 
Guys, do you, do you remember when you got your first car? Man, when I get my first car, it's gonna be so, I'm going to be so bad. I'm, and you, man, you got that thing. You were just <laughs> Volkswagen. <laughs> Rabbit. <laughs> okay, you, you were just you. Okay, and you look back on that. And then do you remember... You remember when you got your first date? And then my first date, boy, I mean, you, I mean, you tried 16 different outfits on. You was like, first date. You were so excited. Remember when you couldn't wait to graduate? You couldn't wait to move that tassel from one side to the other and throw it up in the air? Remember when you couldn't wait for your first job? Remember when you couldn't wait to get married? When I get married, you saw yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Remember that? You couldn't wait to find him, and now you can't wait for him to leave the house. You remember that? And do you remember when you got your first house? Boy, when I get my first, when I get my first crib, whoo! Look, when you graduated from that trailer. Some of you haven't graduated yet. It's still coming. And you were so excited. And no matter what happened that was the next, it always faded. Do you know why? That's God telling you that you're an eternal spiritual being having temporary experience on earth. And nothing temporary and physical will satisfy. Only that which is eternal will fulfill you. That, that, that's, that's what I'm talking about. You say, Pastor, that's true, but I mean, who would know they just had 30 days to live that was living their life right? Who would know? There is one person, Jesus. If you read John 13 to John 17, it was actually the last week of Jesus' life. And over the next five weeks, you're going to be looking at the things that he did that actually show us, by following his example, the things that we might do to keep proper priorities in our lives. Here's the five things Jesus did in the last 30 days of his life. Number one, he lived passionately. He lived passionately. How did he live? Now, because if you told somebody they had 30 days to live, would they be excited? Would they be passionate? They'd be like, hey, man, what's going on? Oh, yeah, I guess you heard. Heard what? I mean, I got the call. What call? I mean, I only have 30 days to live. But he lived life passionately. Number two, he loved completely. He loved completely. He gave all of himself. Next, he gave generously. He gave generously. He wasn't holding on like it added value to his life and somehow in the end he was going to die and take it with him to the grave. Number four, he learned humbly. It was actually at the Last Supper before he got betrayed that he washed the disciples' feet. He lived humbly. And finally, he left boldly. He left boldly. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be going over these principles because we want you to live a life without regret. Someone said the tragedy is not that some people die. The tragedy is some people never, ever lived. So what is it, Pastor? Where do we start? 
The number one way for you to live life without regret is to live life passionately. To live life passionately. Now, when, when, when I think of this, I think of one person, and it's not because I'm a name dropper, and it's not because I'm sometime his pastor, and that's because he's a big deal, but that's all true, and I'll go ahead and say it anyways. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is probably the most passionate single person about everything. I mean, he's passionate about football. He's passionate about rescuing children. He's passionate about missions. He's passionate about building safe houses for women that have been sex trafficked. He's passionate about helping the handicapped. He's he's passionate about Down syndrome. He's passionate. He's passionate. Matter of fact, the brother's so passionate, he was one of the best-looking, wealthiest, godly men in the world. He didn't even get married until he was 30. There was only about a billion women waiting on his phone call. But, but, but why, why do you think he lived? I remember when we had him here last. I don't know if y'all know this. Ladies, y'all, I'm sure y'all know it. That brother is jacked up. He is swole. He is toe up from the flow up. So we, we come walking out and we're about right here, about right here. And he's wearing his T-shirt and his arms look like my legs. He got this T-shirt on and he's walking out like this. And I'm like beside him, like <laughs> walking out right beside him. And he looks over at me and goes, Pastor, do, do, do you want me to wear a coat? I said, brother, if I look like you, I might walk out there without a shirt on and just walk up and go, give glory to God. I didn't say that's what I wanted to say. I just said, no, you're fine. You're fine, you're fine. But do you know why he lives like passionately? Because his parents were missionaries in the Philippines when he was conceived. And you know what the doctors told his mother? You need to abort this child. The pregnancy isn't going to last. It's going to hurt you. He's going to be Down syndrome, handicapped, if, if he makes through the pregnancy. So you might as well go ahead and have an abortion. He knows that every day he's alive, doctors said he shouldn't be here. So he is going to take every moment and live life passionately. You see, nothing ever happens without passion. One dictionary translation says, passion is a strong, barely controllable emotion. Can I tell you this? Passion shouldn't be the trademark of sports. Passion shouldn't be the trademark of football or soccer or baseball or any other sport, basketball, whatever it is. Passion should be the overflowing emotion and attitude that comes from every blood-washed, born-again, spirit-filled child of God who knows on your worst day, God is with you, and if you die, the worst thing that can happen to you is you see the one you love the most when you take your last breath. That's what we get. Another dictionary says passion is an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Let me give you a scripture verse for passion. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, the first in importance of the commandments is, listen Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love the Lord your God with all your, and, 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 another translation says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. Living passionately is giving your all. Passion is like you and me, it is a possession that comes from God. 
And he gives it to those who give their all and whatever you give your all to. God created you to live passionately. God made you to feel things deeply and passionately. When we started the church, I mean, Michelle and I, we didn't know anything. Literally, we didn't know anything. And people would say to us, they would say, hey, we need a women's ministry. Hey, we need a men's ministry. Hey, y'all need a better children's ministry. Hey, y'all. And like, we were just overwhelmed. And one day I heard someone say something that changed my whole pastor ministry mindset. They said, whoever has the burden has the call. So people would come up and go, we need a children's ministry that's better. I went, you're exactly right. And you need to be in charge of it. They go, we need people guiding people and directing them when we come. There's too many cars out there parking. I go, you're exactly right. And you are the chief parker. I christen you the bab chief car parker. Er, you're an, a, a bishop of apostle of cars. And then I would, I, and guess what started to happen? People started walking around going, I love this church. I love everything about this church. There's nothing about this church I don't love. The word enthusiasm, theo, means God in the Greek. It means to be God-filled. To be God-filled. That literally God's life, this Zoe life of God is what the scripture calls in the Greek. It's Zoe. It means the life of God. There's two words for life. One is bio. It's where we get biology. And the other one's Zoe, which means the life of God. You ever seen someone and you knew there was something different about it? They didn't say anything, but you just looked at them and went, Man, there is something different about them. Have you ever seen people like that? That was people that were enthusiastic. They were God-filled. Introverts and even extroverts are all passionate about something. Isaiah 59, 17 says this. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself in a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of... Say it loud. Okay, that sounds like put me to sleep at night. Okay, a cloak of divine passion. passion. Have you ever talked to somebody and you weren't sure that you believed what they said, but you were sure they believed what they said? As a born-again, blood-washed, spirit-filled child of God, people should be able to look at me, and when I'm talking to them about my relationship with God and who Christ is to me, even if they don't believe it themselves, they should believe that I believe it. Why didn't you clap right there? That usually is the clap. Thank you. Let's start putting that up on the screen. Clap here. What would you do if you live this kind of life. Well, I can tell you why a lot of us don't live that kind of life. Because we live a life without margin. You're just running. And you get the kids off to school, and then you go from that to the next thing you're doing, and then while you're sitting there, you're scrolling through social media before you go to your next meeting, and then your girlfriend calls, and then you come over, and then it's time to eat lunch, and then after that, you pick up the kids from school, and after that, you're getting dinner ready, and after that, your husband comes walking in, and then after that, he wants a piece of you, and then after that, the kids want you to put them to sleep and help with all their homework, and then after that, and then when you fall asleep on the couch, and then you get up in the morning, and you start all over again. Have you ever seen... A book with no margin, all the words run together. Pastor, what is margin? Margin is the difference between your load and your limit. In other words, it's what's going on in your life versus what is your capacity to handle in your life. 
The less margin you have, the more stress you have, the more fear you have, the more anxiety you have, the more pressure you have. Everything just runs together. But when I put margin and space in my life, all of a sudden it begins to make sense. Can anybody identify with what I'm saying? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you ever wonder how the settlers did it that had to go on wagons and had to turn everything off at night when the sun went down? They couldn't get milk. They couldn't get yogurt. They couldn't get... There's a precious lady in our church, wonderful, wonderful lady. I'll tell their story one day, but she grew up in Henderson on an island. She's in her 70s now, but she never went off the island till she was 13 years old and started going to school in Cecilia. She went to school there. And I said, well, y'all didn't have electricity? She said, not till I was 13. I said, well, where did you keep milk and stuff? She said, you put it in a cage and you dropped it in the water. And when you wanted milk, look at this, teenagers. You just went down, you pulled up the basket, and you got the milk that was in the water. They didn't know what a microwave was. Okay. They weren't stressed out. We got microwaves, cars, Instagram, Facebook, waiter, restaurants, and you're stressed out. It's because there's no margin in your life. How do you create margin in your life? Luke chapter 5 is our Bible story today that's going to give us some perspective to live life as though we only had one month to live. Here it is. Then behold, this is a group of people. Jesus is preaching. Large crowds are coming. And now the story takes place while Jesus is preaching and throngs of people are around him. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they couldn't find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went to the housetop and let him down in his bed through the ceiling, the tiling, the roof. And they laid him right in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, began to reason with saying, who in the world is this one who speaks blasphemies? Because he's saying he can forgive sin, but only God forgives sin alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easy for me to say to this man, your sins are forgiven. You are to say to him, rise up and, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power not only to forgive sins, he says to the paralyzed man, I say to you, Rise up and do what? Rise up and what? And, and immediately he rose up before them and he took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house glorifying God and they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with saying, man, we've seen some strange things today. Notice the passion of these men. Notice the focus of these men. Notice the determination of these men to bring their friend to Jesus. 
They had four things that caused them to live passionately that we can learn to add to our lives today. Number one, they were willing to do something drastic and daring. They were willing to do something drastic and daring. When they couldn't get into the room, there was no handicap parking. There was no space for those who had special needs. So when they couldn't get in because of the crowd, they went in through the... Okay, now look right here because I'm going to teach you something theological that will help you. How many of you have ever asked a friend to read the Bible and they said, well, I've been reading the Bible, but there's stuff in it I don't understand. How many have ever had anybody say this to you? In the Bible, one man had 50 wives. How many can I have? Okay, one preacher said you could have 12. Four richer, four better, and four worse. You'll figure that out later. (laughs) Jesus said, reiterating in the New Testament, the beginning, it wasn't so. God created one man for one woman, just like he did in the garden. But many people like King David, who had many wives, like Solomon, who had many wives, they did what they did. It was descriptive. It's not what God prescribed them to do. So there are things in the Bible that are descriptive. This is what they did, but it's not prescriptive. It's not what God wants you to do. Do you understand that? Okay, so this story is descriptive, not prescriptive. Because as we continue, and there's barely a place to sit now, same thing in the last service, I don't want anybody that's out in the hall to all of a sudden I start hearing a noise up in top of the church, and all of a sudden pieces of the roof start falling in, and some Cajun gets dropped down right up here on the front row. That's descriptive, not prescriptive. I just wanted to get that out because some of y'all are going to say, Pastor, it was in the Bible. Why can't I do that? They cut through the roof. There are things you have to cut through if you're going to get to Jesus. For most of us, our problem is not time management. It's life management. For most of us, it's not time management. It's let me explain something to you. Look right here. In January 2020, no one ever thought of what would happen in the next 60 days, March the 1st. What happened? COVID. Do you know that in 24 months, 24 months, race divided us. Masks. Just think of how stupid that, what divided you? A piece of paper? What? Some of us believe we should have it here. Some of us don't believe we should have it there. So I'm not going to that place. They don't believe in the paper. Oh, I'm going to that place. They believe in the paper. How demonic and stupid. Anything that's based on fear and division always comes from the enemy. It never comes from God. It's not even a position of the mask. It's a position that the enemy could use that to divide godly people who love each other. They're going to spend eternity in heaven. Can I tell you this? If you wore a mask, it's going to surprise you. People are going to be in heaven that didn't wear one. And you won't even care. Okay, that was better than that response, but that's okay. It's not time management. It's life management. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Okay? Do you realize that in 24 months, 
50% of the people that went to church on the first week of January 2020, by 2023, 50% of them had stopped coming and have never gone back. 50% have stopped coming. Why? Why? Did COVID kill Sunday belonging to God? Do you know why? Because people who live with life without margin thought, now I finally have it. Sunday used to belong to Jesus, now it belongs to me. Do you know how long it would have taken the devil had COVID not happened to get 50% of people to stop coming to church? Do you realize for two years, it was the first time in 2,000 years that the church worldwide has not gathered together to worship Jesus on resurrection morning? Look at me. I'm glad your children play soccer, football, hockey, basketball, bitty ball, softball, fake ball, <laughs> anything, foam ball, anything that they play. My children were athletes. My children were athletes. Okay, they were. I got it. But look at me. Just because you got a soccer coach that doesn't honor God doesn't mean you are to follow him. Look right here. Listen carefully. Zero, 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 zero point one of your children are going to play college sports. And zero, 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 zero point one of them are going to play pro sports. But 100% of them are going to stand before Jesus and answer for how much of this they know and how much of this they applied to their lives. It's not your soccer coach or football coach or baseball coach or dancing. It's not any of them. And I'm not hating on any of them. I'm just telling you that if you had 30 days to live, do you think on Sunday you'd be at a soccer game or you'd be in the house of God with your children here in the Word of God? I want you, I'm going to say this. My call, I love being your pastor. I love being your pastor. I love being your pastor. My call is not to be your friend. My call is to prepare you for the last 30 days of your life and the day you stand before Jesus. That's my call. So, I want you to know it's not time management, it's life management. You've got to remove the obstacles that are keeping you from Jesus. So I've got three questions. What's keeping you from getting through to Jesus? Here's another one. Who's keeping you from getting through to Jesus? Look right here. The Bible says don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You are the sum total of the five closest people in your life. I don't care if you're 6, 16, 26, 46, or 96. You go, well, Pastor, no that's, not, no, that's not true because I have friends that do things I don't do. Okay? Just do a little quiz, a little Pastor Jacob quiz. How many of you have ever smoked before? Anything. I'm not defining this as weed. Okay, but you smoked something before. Raise your hand. Could have been a cigar, vape, weed, weed. Okay, 
Okay, okay, okay, watch it. How many of you have been around people that are doing that, smoking anything, and you're not doing it? Raise your hand. Okay. When you leave them, what do you smell like? And look at me. You'll smell like it till you start becoming like it. My job is to challenge you to be with people that smell like the heaven that you're going to, not the hell that God delivered you from. What's keeping you from getting, who's keeping you from getting through to Jesus? And how long, how long, how long? What and who and how do you have to break through that is your ceiling to get to Jesus? I'm going to tell you your spiritual maturity level right now. If everybody wants to know, Pastor, I think I'm a mature Christian. I'm going to tell you right now. Here it is. Your spiritual maturity is measured by the distance between the time you know what God wants you to do, look right here, and how long it takes you to do it. What God wants you to do and how long. If you're living together, look at me. Repent and get married you got a free church and a free preacher. The only, if you don't, can't afford the license, I'll pay for your license. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I want a big wedding. Why don't you worry about building a big life? Why don't you worry about building a big life on something that lasts? Why don't you show the people that you're not concerned about your big day, but you're concerned about the big day when you stand before God in the audience of one? You say, Pastor, that, that's kind of hard. No, it's not. Hard is when you stand there before God and you knew what you should have done and you didn't do it. Jesus is talking to people right now. He is. You know why he's doing that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. What you just felt, just all across the room. That's the Holy Spirit witnessing to you. When I'm talking like that, and all of a sudden you feel the frissons, that's your spirit. That's not your body. For those of you who don't know what that is, you can ask the Cajun interpreter. But that's what that is. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I'm talking to you. That's not him. That's me talking through him to you. What do you have to remove? Who do you have to remove? Here's the second thing. Expect the unexpected. They did something there, but they expected the unexpected. They brought their friend to Jesus, but when the unexpected happened and they couldn't get in, how many of us would have just stopped and went, man, listen, how many have ever carried dead weight? Raise your hand. Come on, some of you are married to it. <laughs> How many have ever carried dead weight? A hundred pounds of dead weight? That's, that's heavy. But if a man's been paralyzed a long time, I guarantee he didn't weigh a hundred pounds. He probably weighed a couple hundred pounds. And they are tired and they are sweating. And they, they're, because they heard Jesus can heal their friend and somebody, they, they love him. They grew up with him, and they want to help him get where he needs to go. And they get there, and they can't get in. How many of us would have just said, well, sorry, man. We did our best. What I want to know is, who's the couillon? 
that said, well, when I was a kid in high school, I used to do some roofs. I think we could get up there. Okay. And there they are. First, imagine dead weight of a man pulling him up to the roof. Like, I wonder if he agreed to it. And then they begin to lower him down where there was no room and no interest and no roof and maybe no rope. Somehow they got him there. Why? Because passionate people can't be stopped. Because all-in people can't be stopped. Because enthusiastic people can't be stopped. Here's number three. They created God's space. They let him down through the roof on his bed, right that in the middle of where Jesus was. Do, do you know what God's space is? God's space is when you do everything you can do, but then God does what only God can do. See, they could get him there very hard. They could climb up the ceiling very hard. They could lower him down very hard, but only Jesus could heal him. And you know what's wrong? The challenge that many of us face? We keep waiting for Jesus to do what only he's going to do before we we're willing to do our part of what we're going to do. And let me tell you something. God will never do your part, but if you do your part, he always shows up to do his part. Think of the conversations for the paralyzed man. Is this going to work? What if they beat me when I get down there? What's the owner of the house going to say? Maybe Jesus pointed at the roof afterwards and said, look, if I forgave him and healed him, be healed. <laughs> that would have been great. He created space for God. Pastor, how can I do that to create margin and clarity in my life? Here's how. Look at me. We challenge you at the beginning of the year to do the first, verse 15. Five minutes of God's word. Five minutes of worship, listening to a worship song just like you did today, and five minutes of prayer. Do you know what happens when I see his word before I see anybody else's? Do you know what happens when I see his presence and seek it before I do anything else? Do you know what happens when I talk to him before I talk to anything else? All of a sudden, that which was overwhelming, that which seemed cluttering, running together, all of a sudden, I get clarity from God for my future. And the same person that knelt down is an entirely different person that gets up. We have a lot of counselors here. If you need drug counseling, we have them here. If you need professional counseling, we have them here. But can I tell you what the real issue most of us need is? We don't need counseling. We need to talk to God. You know what the difference is between talking to God and talking to people? You can talk to your girlfriend. Let me tell you what my husband did. I'm going to tell you something. He did that. And I'm, I'm, let me tell you. I'm, I'm glad if he does that one more time, I'm telling you, I'm done. I am fed up, girl. I'm... Okay, at best, she can be quiet and go, hmm, okay, I'll pray for you. At worst, girl, that's why I left my last husband. Your last one? Yeah, my last one. Watch. Look right here. 
when you tell God, He gives you peace. He gives you strength. He gives you grace. You know what grace is? Grace is His strength in the tank of your life when you feel empty. That's what it is. The difference between you telling your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your co-worker is that when you tell God, he gives you something that only he can give you. You become God-filled. You become God-filled. And then he said this. I love this. Number four, keep a constant reminder. He said, take up your what? Take up your what? Say it loud. Take up your what? I want you to just think a moment. Okay, I don't want to be gross, but I want to be real. How many years do you think that man had laid on that bed? Huh? He ate on that bed. They drug him off to go to the bathroom on that bed. He cried on that bed. His whole life had been on that bed. Do you know what that bed smelled like? When he got up off of there, the last thing he wanted to do was be associated with that bed. But you know what Jesus said? What? Do you know why? Because your bed is your story. Your bed is your story. And look at me. There may not have been anybody to let him in through the crowd when he came in, but when that brother came walking out with that mat, it parted like the Red Sea. Nobody knew him when he wanted to get in. Now they're like, oh, he lives next to my cousin. Yeah, my friend went to school with him. Yeah, he, he, before he fell and got hurt, he dated my cousin. All of a sudden, everybody knew him. You know what your bed is? It's your story. It's your story. It's the stinky part of you that you might not want to remember, but it's the part that when people look at your life now and look at what you used to be, they recognize God is the only one that could have done that in your life. He's the only one that could have broke the barriers of the ceilings of your life. I was getting my hair cut at the edge. That's where I get my hair cut. I'm the oldest person times two that gets a haircut there. Like, you can't even go there unless you have a tattoo or a piercing. Joseph has a tattoo, so they let me in. And I go in there on Saturday morning, and I'm getting a haircut. And, of course, everybody is all tatted up, and everybody comes, you know, just tatted up. Everybody smells like they've either been partying or weed. And here's Pastor Jacob. And so guys cut my hair and I'm giving him some relationship advice, which he needs a lot of. And while I'm talking to him, little girl across, raised in church, broken, divorced, broken relationships, precious, lost her sister in a drug overdose. Joseph did the funeral just a few months ago. She's doing the hair of an African-American guy who's getting dreadlocks. One day we'll come with those maybe. And And I just start talking to him about Jesus. And I'm giving relationship advice to this guy. And and the guy looks at me, who's doing the dredger real quiet, African-American guy, he looks at me, he goes, who are you? I said, "I'm I'm a kid whose mama 
was a barmaid, and I was raised in a bar. Daddy married five times. But Jesus changed me, and I've been married to the same woman for almost 42 years. And I gave my children a future that I never had, that I promised myself when I was nine years old that I would never, ever allow my children to be exposed to what I was exposed to. I came to Lafayette when I was 19 to preach in Northside High School. They wouldn't let me in, so I've been preaching to everybody else in Lafayette ever since. <laughs> Listen, he goes, I want to come to your church. Look at me. You got to tell your story. You got to roll out that band and tell them how stinky you would be were it not for the fragrance of Christ that resurrected you from the dead and changed you. Your bed used to be your identity you relied upon, but now you have a new identity as a blood-washed, spirit-filled, born-again child of the living God. Final thoughts. What do you need to cut through to get to Jesus today? Who do you need to cut out? We're, we're having a small group launch begins. Some of you need to get connected because you need other life. Everybody needs to get connected. You need to get in a life-giving relationship with other people that want to live life the way you do. You know, you keep saying, Pastor, where are people like you're talking about? They're right here. Yeah, but Pastor, they're jacked up people in this church. I know that's why you qualify. <laughs> but Pastor, there's hypocrites in this church. I know there's always room for one more. Join. This is not a palace for the perfect. Nobody here has their act together. This is a hospital for the hurting that have found a new identity in Jesus, and they're still trying to work everything out as they find out who he is. Get in a small group. Here's the second thing. How can you create God's space? Are you doing the first 15? Are you doing the first 15? There's 24 hours in a day. God is asking you for one minute of 15 of those hours. One minute of 15 of those hours. Before you pick up your phone, pick up his word. Listen to one worship song and just worship and invite him in. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. That's Bible language for whenever you start worshiping, he shows up. You ever start to talk about somebody and they show up and you go, speak of the devil. Okay, well, you start worshiping and speak of Jesus. He shows up. Make room for him. Here's the third thing. What reminder do you have of where God has brought you from? You know, it's interesting. There's 168 hours in a week. There's 672 hours in a month. What would you do if this was your last 672 hours of your life? Let's start doing that now. Would you bow with me? Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that has been so present here today, confirming and reaffirming Thank you. While your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to every person here about different areas. He comes and, and he just puts his finger on things. Move this, add this, change this, cut that off, join that. 
the more you listen to that voice, the more God's plan and purpose is revealed through your life. It's like a divine GPS when you put an address in. The address is heaven on earth, and it starts right now. And if you listen to that voice, it'll guide you each step of the way. So right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to say, tell God, God, Father, I'll do what you put in my heart to do. I'll do what you put in my heart to do. I'll do what you put in my heart to do. I'll obey you. I know that my spiritual maturity is measured by the distance between the time I know what you want me to do and how long it takes me to do it. I'll obey you. And now finally, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, thank you for today. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but, but I don't know if I've ever been born again. You say, why is that important? Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. All of us are born spiritually dead, and it's only when we're born again that we become spiritually alive. Christ comes to live inside of us. His life begins to transform us from the inside out. You say, Pastor, I've been Christian. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. That's a good start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you need to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven or to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's John chapter 3. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I believe what you said today, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I'm going to count to three. On the count of three, if you want to be born again today, I want you to raise your hand real high and I'm going to just pray for you. I'm the only one looking right at your seat. Today can be the first day of your new spiritual life. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Even the things leading up to you coming here today, God is talking to you now. And now's your moment to begin your spiritual journey to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I want to see it all across this building. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five. You can put your hands down. Last ten seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these thirty-five, but my heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know that's for me. Then I want you to wave your hand at me right now if you didn't. With these thirty-five, wave it at me. I'm asking this last time for you. Wave it at me. Thirty-six, thirty-seven. 38, 39. All right. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand today to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, I declare God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, the Holy Spirit is my guide, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.